AM General has worked with the U.S. military since World War II, today producing its indispensable Humvee and used to make the Hummer for General Motors. Its CEO, Andy Hove, is our guest on this edition of AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine This Week. You know, in the automotive industry, car companies assemble their cars. But not all the time. Sometimes they turn to independent contractors that do that assembly for them. It's a very rarefied club in the world, but we're going to learn about one of those companies today because our special guest is Andy Hove, the Chief Executive Officer of AM General. And Andy, it's great to have you here on AutoLine. Thank you. It's great to, great to be here. Thank you so much. Joining us today, too, are John Stoll with the Wall Street Journal and Gary Vasilash with Automotive Design and Production Magazine. Great to have the both of you here. Thank you, John. Too. John. Andy, I'm, I'm intrigued by what you guys do. I, I mean, you've, you've assembled all different kinds of vehicles. Give us a quick thumbnail sketch of what are you doing right now? Well, AM General, it, it, it really starts with AM General being a full end-to-end, uh, full life cycle, spectrum-capable company. Um, we design vehicles. Um, we're best known for the design of, of military vehicles, but a, a wide range of, of uh, designs. We recently want a contract to design the next generation postal vehicle for the U.S. Postal Service. Um, we produce a wide range of, of vehicles. Uh, over our history, we've produced uh, five-ton trucks for the military, uh, produced over 300,000 Humvees. Um, we produce the only wheelchair-accessible, um, purpose-built wheelchair-accessible vehicle in, in the country. We've done contract manufacturing. We, we produced uh, the H2 for for General Motors, essentially on contract for, for the Hummer H2, the the Hummer H2 um, on contract for uh, for General Motors, and today are producing the uh, R class crossover SUV for Mercedes. Um, so, what's happening today is that we're building a luxury German crossover SUV in Mishawaka, Indiana, with the oldest UAW local. Um, currently active in the United States, and every one of them gets exported to China. Now, explain that a minute. Why would a Mercedes-Benz, which has an incredible manufacturing capability of its own, with a plant in the United States as well, why would they go to AM General in Indiana and say, here, build these R-classes and export them all to China for us? Why would they do that? Well, I think it, uh, it, it was a simple answer. In, in the specific case for Mercedes, it was a simple matter of capacity. They wanted to introduce a new platform into their plant down in Alabama that was off a common uh, platform with, with the others. And, and in that introduction, we're faced with the choice of either adding volume of a, it was when they introduced their coupe SUV, either adding the volume they needed for the coupe SUV in the United States and foregoing the opportunity to sell R-Class into China or continue to sell the R-Class to China and forego the opportunity for the coupe SUV in the U.S. And, um, you know, we, we are, at the end of the day, a solutions-based business. And our solution was to allow them to have their cake and eat it too and have the opportunity to sell both their crossover coupe SUV and our classes to, to uh, China. Andy, in this case, they provided you with the design, they did the engineering and so on. But you guys have done clean sheet, I mean, Absolutely. Number of vehicles. Absolutely. Well, the Hummer, of course, um, and uh, the, the both the Humvee for the military and the and the Hummer uh, uh, for the 
um, for the commercial market. Um, the postal service will be a clean sheet uh, design. Um, we did quite a bit of the design work on the uh, on the MV1, then um, that started when it was still VPG. We were building that on contract for for VPG as well. We ultimately bought uh, the business and the design ourselves. Um, but but so that's uh, the wheelchair accessible vehicle that yes. you guys are building. Yes, and and you know, and I would point out, I mean that. While we we have been building the the Humvee for thirty years, and, and you know obviously it's still badged and named the same thing, but you know it's kind of like the suburban that you bought thirty years ago doesn't look like the suburban that you buy today, and as you might imagine, that is a continuous redesign um, effort to keep it relevant and, and modern going forward. What is the the big discussion about the future of this industry? What players are going to come in? What do they really want to do? What do they want to provide? And, and the common assumption is that many of them don't want to build cars. Google's one probably example, 1A, B, and C. Are you in discussions with some of these emerging players and, and saying, look, this is what we can do? Obviously, the R class has a life you know, cycle, and it's going to end at some point, and you're going to need another, uh, another right. vehicle or more to come down those assembly lines in uh, South Bend. Well, we're, as I said, we're a full spectrum. From, from design to production to sustainment on back end, and you know, we're a solutions business, and, and uh, we're best known for the solutions that we provide to the military, but we don't... We, you know, we are capable of providing solutions to those problems across the entire spectrum to a whole range of things, of, of customers. So, you know, it's been on us uh, to get that message out to them on what we're able to, to do for them. And it's not just limited to what we would manufacture for them. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, we, we, we've designed vehicles from the ground up. Uh, what we, if you design a vehicle and you get to a point where you have a prototype and you go into production, the next thing you have to do before you get into production is figure out, well, what's my transition to production plan? And there are very few people in the world who know how to do that. Most of them are the OEMs, right? So the OEMs are particularly open to folks like Google on telling them how they're going to launch their, launch their vehicles. So, um, we provide a, a, a range of those a range of those services, and then if it ends up being in our own facility where we manufacture it, um, great. But we're, we're very open about solving problems, and and if that leads to either a greenfield someplace else or a brownfield someplace else, and us um, providing insight and professional intelligence on uh, understanding of what it takes to get that done, then, then we offer that as a service. Well, I understand how you cannot divulge who might be knocking on your door right now, but can you talk about the kinds of companies that are doing so? John mentioned, you know, these uh, uh, mobility startups, if you will, like, uh, like Google. There's uh, all kinds of others that I think, including OEMs that are looking for a place like Mercedes did to come to you guys. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the kinds of companies that are knocking on your door saying, what can you do with us? Well, it's, uh, um, you know, as I, so for, for, for example, I mean, even at the design phase, uh, you know, the hot topics in automotive, three hot topics in automotive are mixed materials, right? How to bond composites to metal. Um, autonomous navigation and advanced vtronics you know so you can do things like embedded diagnostics on the run in a vehicle it, these are all three technologies as a defense and aerospace company we've been dealing with for decades 
So um, we've been talking to a number of customers just about not necessarily designing the entire vehicle with them, but helping them to understand you know, what it takes to get those technologies integrated into a fully functioning platform. Um, and are those transferable? I know you have a, an, a rugged testing site down the, down the way from where you guys build the uh, vehicles. So i got to imagine that some capabilities are there that are, are somewhat unknown to maybe the wider world, but if you walked into a client, you'd be able to say, you have some extreme conditions that you can even put autonomous right. through and things like that. Yeah, yeah, well, look, frankly, the whole reason I'm sitting here is it is well unknown <laughs> to a lot of customers who should be understand who should understand what we're capable of doing. And, and yeah, it's not just limited to physical test facilities. I mean, w we have advanced tools and processes for systems engineering, design engineering, test and development. Um, you know, w w it, particularly on the military side, we're not able to do test, build, test, it's incredibly expensive. Um, so just the basic engineering processes and the development processes we have are quite robust, very quick, and, and extremely good value for the, for, for the money. I mean, we're not, I wouldn't describe us as the lowest cost engineering services uh, company, but we can turn around very effective design and development subsystems integration. Um, on, a, on a full spectrum. And then, you know, so you got yourself now to a beta prototype and a producible TDP and you're scratching your head about, you know, where am I going to go source this? How am I going to do my plant layout? Am I, how am I going to build, build the thing? Um, you know, uh, Mercedes, for example, we started that program with them in, in December we reached agreement on the program in December of 2015. We were building the first vehicle in six months later, in June of 2015. By uh, by February, less nine months after starting production, we you know Mercedes has its own independent quality audit team that in, audits and controls the quality in each of their plants. We pass the same quality audit that all their other plants do. And then, of course, by contract, since we're essentially a subcontractor to Mercedes-Benz, we were required to pass our own independent TS-16 949 audit within a year. And of, what's that mean? Is it just a, a, another well, specification it's, in the audit? It's, it's, it's ISO on steroids. Okay. Um, and, uh, um, and, and as you might imagine, the auto industry has extremely tight controls on quality in their suppliers. So but it's unusual that anyone is doing full final assembly. So, and and while the while the while the OEMs generally require it of their supply chain, they typically don't send their own final assembly facilities through a TS sixteen nine forty nine ISO audit. Um, so you had to be you had to be go through the wash twice. We went through the wash twice, <laughs> um, and came out pretty clean as a as a result of it. But but so I, you know, it's it's a. Uh, it's a highly differentiated, unique uh, capability that, particularly in the United States, um, there, there really is no one. I mean, no one else. There, there, there are there are many design bureaus and and, and some great ones, um, and you know, I I don't feel like we have to. No one really understands what we're. So I'm sorry, not no one. Very few commercial companies understand what we're capable of doing for them. Um, we're deliberately making sure we get that that message out, uh, but even when you get to that, even when you get that past that point, that transition between, 
you know, figuring out how to produce what you have. Um, there really is no one else in the, in the United States who provides that kind of a service. The OEMs do it for themselves, and, and there are a handful of European companies that, that do that, but then typically that's tied to independent contract manufacturing in, in Europe and very few solutions in North America. Andy, talk to us about the postal vehicle. You, you said that and went right over it, and I think that's, that's a rather important vehicle because you're talking about mixed materials. I mean, they've been ahead of the curve in terms of using aluminum for bodies. Um, I have a feeling that they're probably looking for aut autonomous capabilities and so on. Talk to us about that. Well, we actually, uh, uh, um, so the, the DS9, the original Jeep-looking postal delivery vehicle, was built by our heritage uh, company. So when you draw AM General's lineage back to Willa's Jeep um, and, and, and Willa's Overland, that, that was one of our product portfolios. Uh, we, we actually, uh, the, the current delivery vehicle that's used by the Postal for Service has an aluminum um, body. Uh, and they're old. I mean, they're really old, right? These were built by Grumman, if I remember right, on Long yeah, Island. The they're, they're like 30 years old or something. But, I mean, so the great thing about the body, it's an aluminum body. It generally doesn't rust out and corrode very well. And, and we actually uh, provide, the, they, they will reframe uh, the vehicle, and we build the frames for the, the replacement frames for the, for the Postal Service today as part of a life extension program that, that they have ongoing. But... Uh, you know, in their next contract, uh, it, was, it was an extremely challenging, so, so the contract we won is a design and development phase mm -hmm. that uh, there were, uh, there are actually six companies um, competing for the design and development. And, and then the, the idea is for the Postal Service to pick two, maybe three of those designs to, for final competition in the, in the production phase. W where we are unique in that, you know, crowd of six uh, designers is we're the only one offering uh, the ability to build either an in, a traditional internal combustion engine powered delivery vehicle on the same frame or a, a hybrid electric or a fully electric all without changing the overall basic design of the design of the vehicle and because we've you know been involved with the postal service um, for so long it it really started with understanding at a very intimate level what the customer needs. So we, we've actually designed a, a very unique proprietary postal safety service, which is an overlay of, of, of visual assist and, and driver assist um, for, the, for the delivery person, um, the, the postal delivery um, person to do their job in a way that's unique for them in, the, in their delivery challenge. And all this is transferable to presumably commercial customers, at least the learnings would be beneficial. Yeah, the, uh, you know, from, from our perspective, you know, we, we really, we, we deal with the service and the, and the products we provide at a very gener generic level. We're, we're in no case are we really a mass marketer anywhere. Uh, we have a very small set of, of customers and we build generally highly specialized, unique Vehicle. So our approach is different. We we develop very deep relations, relationships with our customer, to understand them quite well, and understand how they put their vehicles into use. So it's um, in any case, whether it's the whether it's the Humvee for the military, whether it's the postal delivery vehicle for the postal service, or whether it's a wheelchair accessible vehicle, all which have unique. Um, uh, D duty cycles and duty modes and how they're how they're used. 
that you know it isn't just the regular passenger car so we have a much deeper insight in that and then we flow that all the way back into our basic design approach is to understand and reflect that into the design and then have the ability to transfer it into production and produce it in in frankly a way that's relatively low volumes compared to everything else so it's it's a unique business you know, give me a, a lot of different opinions on on what I'm about to say but at the end of the day one of the products that would do very well today if it were on the market <laughs> would be Hummer uh, it's 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 a market that's ripe for a big giant SUV with the uh, sort of stance and, and heritage that Hummer has. Any thought to, and I know GM probably owns some of the intellectual property or at least the, the naming rights, but doing something in that heritage, given that you still own the Humvee property, you're still building, you've got that home uh, base, that you could do something like that again if, 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 if the market was open to something like that? Well, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd, um, we're certainly capable of building the base vehicle. Um, but, but, but as I say, you know that um, we're a business-to-business business. Um, you know, for so for someone like that, would, they'd have to know the customer community and what what the customer would want, and for the demand and the, the design on that. And um, you know, I but I, I can I, I do appreciate your your point of view. Is that you know the 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 pickup trucks that you see going around seem awfully large. They're <laughs> <laughs> doing very well right now. They're doing great. Uh, Andy, you mentioned before uh, there's plants with uh, the capability of doing contract assembly for companies in Europe. Magnus Steyr probably being the best. They, they've got a plant now. They're capable of making over 200,000 cars a year. I understand they're looking at putting a second plant in. There's one in Finland, of all places, called Valmet. There's another one in the Netherlands called Nedcar. Mm-hmm. Why so much in Europe, and you're the only guys here in the U.S.? Well, I think it's uh, it, you know it's reflective of of uh, of how European OEMs have have approached the the market, and and I, they've been they've frankly just been much more open to contract manufacturing over the years. Do you than, see that changing in the U.S.? Well, certainly. I mean, I, it's, it's probably no surprise that Mercedes was our first customer, right? They're, it's it's not highly unusual to them. And as, and as I've been talking to um, the U.S. OEMs about what we're capable of, of uh, uh, the, the, the problems that we can solve for them across an entire spectrum of the, of the product life cycle, um, and, and I'm certainly not a commercial automotive historian, but, but my understanding is that there's been contract manufacturing in North America among the North American OEMs. They would just generally trade off capacity of their own plants to, to, to others. Um, and, and so that kind of went on for, you know, a time until it didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that didn't happen in Europe, so it spawned, you know, an independent contract manufacturing um, industry, if, if you will. And it was never, never spawned here, and, and now the OEMs are kind of at capacity and don't have capacity in their own plants to... To trade off, so uh, we certainly feel the data that we look at um, it certainly indicates that there is a growing demand for independent contract manufacturing mm-hmm. in North America, and, and and certainly it will be for opportunity. You know, not I don't think in hundreds of thousands of vehicles, but you know, fifty thousand, hundred thousand. 
um, vehicles at, at a pop is is meaningful and that particularly if you look at niche products and where we're differentiated is in building you know vehicles of the size of a, of a SUV or a light light pickup truck um, it, the, the the commercial plant that we use is the one that was built for the H2 so from a volume perspective we were able to do large vehicles in, in our plant um, so what would your capacity be? I mean, you have the, you have the contract with Mercedes now, let's say that continues on and they give you a new vehicle and then another OEM says, hey Andy, I'd like you to uh, build X number of these for us. Well, the, uh, the, the study that we've done is we'd be upwards of about 70,000 units a year. Uh, and it would depend on the specific uh, vehicle that we would be doing, but, I, but we, we have uh, laid out our final assembly capability in a way that we can actually do both body on frame and body frame integral vehicles on the same trim line um, and final assembly line. With the change in administration and, and, and some of the dynamics that may open the door for lower taxes or other items that you know even Ford has said may, may make a better case for American manufacturing future, interest rates are low, credit markets are open. I mean, any, any thought that you would what you would want to expand now and, and take on more assembly space. Uh, I know there's not a lot in America. I can think of the Mitsubishi plant that recently closed or mm -hmm. some of these General Motors facilities that are still unoccupied. Is, is that in the, in the cards for you guys? Well, um, you know, our, our basic business is to solve problems for customers. So, we're, you know, we, um, if we have an opportunity to solve a problem for a customer and it caused us to add capacity to do so, we'd certainly be open to that. We'd, we're not necessarily, um, you know, not going to be ahead of the market, but I, but to your basic point, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, we we had felt that this is an attractive um, business. There's certainly demand in what we're capable of doing, um, and there had been demand there long before uh, President Trump was was elected. And I, I think if the, you know, the whatever you take out of the recent news, it certainly wouldn't diminish. Um, your optimism that that manufacturing in the United States um, is is going to be of interest for a wider range of of people. Presumably, with the proposed defense buildup, you guys may have more military work to do. Um, how will that affect commercial jobs? Well, there there uh, um, we have a manufacturing campus, if you will, in. In, in Mishawaka with with a, a, a plant that is pre predominantly um, uh, building Humvees and a, and a plant today that's predominantly building um, Mercedes. Uh, we, take an, we take an approach that, you know, automotive manufacturing is automotive manufacturing and, and there are unique aspects for military customers and unique aspects for, for military customers uh, and, and we'll tailor um, you know, work processes, tools, capacity to meet whatever our customers' demand is. But then we, we try and, and take the approach that the, at a certain level it's generic and how do we build in flexibility and reconfigurability in not only our plant property and equipment, but the, our, more importantly, our people and how they approach the business and then our processes and tools that, that it's highly adaptive, 
highly responsive and flexible. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in, you know, you've talked about your capabilities. You've got a test track, you've got an assembly plant, you do design, you've, you handle logistics, but you also make engines. Is this just assembly or are you actually doing machining as well? Uh, well, um, we do final assembly both on the engine and transmission. Um, that we, the, the bulk of it is the engine and transmission that goes into the military Humvee. Now, we, we sell both the engine and the transmission commercially. Um, we have built engines and transmissions on contract, much like we build final vehicles, on, or you know, do complete final vehicle assembly on, on contract. Uh, we don't do our own, you know, we don't machine our own engine cores. Um, or engine blocks, but but uh, it's focused primarily on on final assembly, and then, but the but the but frankly, the the more that's all this stuff that you see, the the more difficult business problem is managing a supply chain that can make an engine in relatively low volumes not only available but affordable in those in those volumes. So I I think one of the our Frankly, one of our best differentiators um, that we that the certainly the U.S. military and the U.S. government benefits from, but, all, but we we've had good discussions with commercial customers on what we can do for them is in managing supply chain um, for for programs and products that are at relatively low volumes. When the uh, when your when your big customer is the government and the and the and the, and the uh, commander in chief tweets something like he did with Boeing the other day, does that send at least a little bit of a you know, shivering your spine of what could happen about pricing, about any volatility in the in the contractor. These things go much deeper than that, and it's it's you don't you don't expect to see a, a, a Trump tweet anytime soon ripping you for the price of a Humvee. God, I'd hope not. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but 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 it, but it, but but I'd also be able to tell me, you know, look, we're, we're, we are, but particularly on that because it's you know it's a monopsony. You got mm-hmm. basically one buyer and one seller. There's very deep understanding on the customer's part on what it costs to build a Humvee. There's not, not a lot of, not a lot of. There shouldn't be any surprises there. That's right. Look, we're going to have to wrap this up right now. But Andy Hove, thanks so much for coming on. CEO of AM General. Very interesting what you're doing here. That you're the only company of your kind in the United States. It's very unusual, and want to thank you for bringing us up to speed with what the company's all about. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to get that message out. John Stoll from the Wall Street Journal, Gary Vasilash from Automotive Design and Production. Want to thank the two of you as well. And of course, want to thank all of you for having tuned in.